This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today our guest is Kara Walker. She is the Vice President of Marketing and Content with the Boston Celtics. And all I have to say about today's interview is, I was so pumped for this interview and I was so prepared. I had a bunch of questions. I was just thrilled to have Kara join Front Office Features. It was an honor. And during our interview, my computer died once. The connection lost three different times. But during the whole thing, Kara was a pro's pro. She kept on. She wanted to stay and have the conversation. She was just awesome. So before you get into this, I just want to apologize. There's a couple rough spots, not going to lie, that you'll hear. But... You know, as a guy who knew nothing about this and just tried to figure it out uh, on my own, uh, learning through YouTube over the last, you know, seven or eight months, uh, I think it's not too bad. Um, You know, when I was initially starting, thinking about starting Front Office Features as a podcast, I was doing my research and I found this YouTube interview um, and there was a guy who does podcasts and he goes, you know what, you're going to be ready for an interview. It's you're going to be prepared with your questions and everything is going to go wrong technically. And that's exactly what happened uh, here. Uh, but Kara was just so awesome. And uh, the content was great. Uh, and she didn't disappoint with uh, everything that she had to say. Um, I love that one time in her career, she was considering taking a job with a women's professional soccer team, juxtaposed to the Boston Celtics. Um, we talk a lot about uh, it's not about the name on the front of the jersey. It's about the experience that you would have in your position and the experience that you was, could have with that women's uh, professional soccer team was great, uh, along with you know what you could have done with the uh, Celtics. We talk about protecting the brand of the Boston Celtics and the balance that she has to strike from pushing the envelope with a younger fan base, really kind of specifically on social media, while maintaining that iconic, historic respect that people have for the Celtics. Kara even takes us in the boardroom where she describes a real-life situation where major decisions had to be made about the Celtics brand and how they came to the conclusion and the path that they took to come to that conclusion. Um, We dive deep into the relationship that the marketing department with the Celtics has to have with the players and the crazy schedule that NBA players in general have to keep. We also get her input on uh, analytics and the vital role data plays in her her daily life, personalized data, 
was a term that Kara said that really kind of stuck with me. Um, and at the end, we discuss her feelings of responsibility for not only being a leader in sports, but a female leader. Kara was just awesome. She was just great. Uh, and I'm so appreciative that she stuck with me um, through all the technical difficulties that we had. It would have been easy to tell me to go pound sand uh, and find another time to do it. But she was awesome. So, Kara, if you're listening, thank you a million times again. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope you enjoy, even though we had a couple technical issues, uh, my conversation with Kara Walker, Vice President of Marketing and Content with the Boston Celtics. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and I am here today with Kara Walker. She is the Vice President of Marketing and Content uh, with the uh, Boston Celtics. Uh, Kara, uh, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. Uh, so I think we got kind of two things in common here. Uh, you went to Ithaca, right? Yes, I and did. It, it is gorgeous huh <laughs> how many t-shirts are there uh, and at the time i i go to i went to springfield college and springfield and ithaca were giant football rivals yes i never actually made it to a football game because i played soccer and our students overlap but uh, i did follow the football team while i was there <laughs> you know i uh, we for uh base i played baseball and our fundraiser so that we could go to Florida, we would have to work the concessions uh, of the football game so we could raise enough money so that we could fly to Florida each year. So that I never really saw a football game besides from the concession stand. But at least you could say you were there. Except, uh, uh, right, right, right. I could say I could say that I was there. Um, and then also, uh, you were a Paw Sox intern way before I got there, but you were a Paw Sox intern uh, way back when, right? I was, yeah, that was my first internship after my sophomore year, uh, and it was fantastic. It definitely kind of led to everything else I've done in my career. That's cool. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. So when you were in college, were you the person who was like, all right, I'm a freshman, I'm going to go get after you know professional networking opportunities uh, from the from the jump, or like, in all honesty, like me, I was just there to like, have fun and I did a horrible job of networking and professional or were you kind of somewhere in between? I was somewhere in between. I think my first priority was probably playing soccer and good. I would say after my first year at Ithaca, they really did a great job of preparing me and, and getting me to understand that I needed to be focusing a little bit more on that networking and the opportunities. So I, I did intern pretty early after my sophomore year with the Paw Sox and that kind of came about by chance. Um, I had a connection through a friend of a friend, um, and that really for me solidified like, okay, working in sports is something that I'm really interested in and I want to do. And I had already been hearing how difficult it was to break into sports. And so that for me kind of solidified, I have to do the networking and I have to make sure I put in the effort so that by the time I do graduate, I'll land something in sports. So one of the things about the Paw Sox internship, and I would say really kind of minor league baseball internships or minor league sports internships in general, is you're kind of a jack of all trades, master or none. Was that your experience as well? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there were 15 interns my summer there, and we all just were kind of general. I think they called us marketing interns, but we did everything from, you know, we worked in the front office, we sold tickets, we worked in the box office. There were some nights that I was an usher. Um, I remember there was one night, which was probably the best and the worst, where I worked at the beer and <laughs> stand, 
Um, oh, there you go. Because I got to keep the tips that I made, but I was not very good at using a corkscrew. And uh, <laughs> at that point, I think I was only drinking boxed wine. So it was a little <laughs> wine and they were getting big pieces of cork floating in it. So, yeah, we certainly did it all. You know, you learn something, you learn something new, right? Yeah, then you learned how to open a bottle of wine. The most valuable skill I learned that summer. That's funny. So um, when you start doing the jack of all trades internships, how, I mean, internship with the Paw Sox, how do you, how did that lead to the Celtics and having that kind of wide variety of experience? How do you think that helped you? with kind of landing your entry level when you were an entry level person with the Celtics? Well, the first thing is it just taught me how going just a little bit above and beyond would really set me apart. Actually, at the end of that summer, I didn't feel like I had done anything noteworthy. I really didn't even have the opportunity to. Like I said, I was answering phones. I was handing out tickets. Um, I didn't work on any huge, impressive projects. But what I did do was at the end of every shift, I may have been there from 8.30 in the morning until, you know, after midnight, if we had a rain delay. And if I was done with whatever responsibility I had that night, I would make sure before I left to go to the head of every single other department and just say, is there anything else you need for me before I go? And 95% of the time, the answer was no. But just the fact that I took that step and offered really stood out. And so at the end of my internship, I'll never forget, they brought me in for my exit interview and they said, you were one of the best interns we've ever had here. And I was kind of shocked because I didn't think that I had done anything noteworthy. And they said, just the effort that you put in and every day you would come and you would ask how you could help and you would have a smile on your face, even, you know, taking out the garbage. Um, and so that huh. really stuck with me. And so when I had my first opportunities and I had my first interviews, I made sure to make a point of saying that I am not only a hard worker, but I take pride in what I do and I will come to work every day and whether I'm stuffing envelopes or, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, I'm going to be happy to do it because I'm, I feel really lucky to have these opportunities. You know, uh, we talk a lot about two things in life that you can control, effort and attitude. Mm -hmm. uh, if you put in, you know, give the proverbial 110% effort and you do it with a smile on your face, that'll take you a long way, right? It was just uh, asking the extra question uh, and being happy about it. I think... Uh, that can take you, you know, a, a great deal down your career path, just being kind of happy and working hard. Totally. And it, it kind of struck me and it stuck with me that a lot of people are just content to sort of be mediocre in their jobs. They go in every day and do what's expected of them, the bare minimum, and that's that. And it's amazing to me because, again, working in sports, most people feel like it's a huge opportunity and would say that they feel really lucky to be doing it. But then when you actually look at the work they're putting in day to day and the attitude, it doesn't always match up totally agree totally agree it's the people who really excel at this are the ones who are there first uh and they're there at the end well past everybody else and they're just they they want to do more than just what's expected of them what's expected of them is you know that's just kind of like baseline yeah. uh they want to be uh greater than that so uh how did they go from paw socks to celtics so i had a couple more internships in between Notably, I spent a semester in London and I interned for a company called Factiva, and it was about as opposite from my experience with Paw Sox as it could have <laughs> been. Um, it was, I think, partially the company and partially the culture over in London, but it was very stiff. Um, I was at a desk all day. No one really kind of talked about their personal lives outside of work. It was sort of you go to your desk, you make some calls, and then you're done for the day. Um, and so that for me solidified that I really didn't want to be doing a job like that. I wanted to be if not working with a professional sports team, I wanted to be interacting with sports in some way. 
Um, and so when I came back, I didn't really put a whole lot of work in my senior year, which ended up working out okay for me, but I was really lucky. And so I remember waking up after graduation and thinking I should probably figure out how to get a job. Um, and so at that point for me, it was, I knew that I wanted to be in New England and I knew that I wanted to be doing something related to sports. And beyond that, I was totally flexible. So I reached out to every contact I could find through Ithaca, through my hometown, made every connection I could, um, you know, just sent emails to people whose jobs I found interesting, essentially made a list of companies that I thought I might like to work for, contacted all of them. And I was lucky enough to get interviews with the Celtics and with the Boston Breakers. They were the women's professional yeah. team. Um, at the time they had already, the league had folded once, they were about to relaunch. And then they've since folded and relaunched again. Um, and so I, it came down to those two opportunities. Um, and it was actually a harder choice than probably most people would expect because I am a female athlete and a soccer player. But at the end of the day, it was, um, I couldn't pass up a brand like the Boston Celtics. And the way I got the interview was through my supervisor at the Paw Sox, Daryl Jasper. DJ's the best. He is the best. I haven't him I love him. Love him. him. He was wonderful. Um, and he knew my first boss at the Celtics through UMass Amherst. So he kind of helped me get the interview. Um, and, you know, whatever I said, they bought, luckily. And so 13 years later, I've been here ever since. That's amazing. And I, I've got to know uh, DJ, obviously, during my baseball times and now his Learfield times. Uh, he comes by the ballpark. Uh, awesome. Did you just see he, like, won some major award at, like, the Learfield uh, uh, Awards down I in Dallas? That. Yeah, I think I saw that on LinkedIn, maybe. He was the best. Yeah. Uh, DJ's a badass man. He's uh, yeah. he's going up there and just uh, kicking ass and taking names. So one of the things uh, I think uh, from there is I want to ask why was it harder besides being a female uh, athlete, uh, specifically soccer, to uh, you know when you're comparing the Boston Breakers and the Boston Celtics, people would from the outside say that's a no brainer. Why don't you just go with the Celtics? Uh, why was it so difficult for you? Well, it was such a small organization then that, like I said, they actually hadn't even relaunched again. So what they sort of said to me at the time was, we want to hire you. We don't know exactly what the position is. We don't know exactly what we can pay you. And of course, that uncertainty probably makes it sound even crazier that I considered it. But at that point, coming out of college, I think I would have been about the fourth or fifth highest ranking person in the organization. Um, yeah. There was something attractive about that. There was something about starting something from the ground up. It was attractive that the league had already kind of run into some bumps. And um, I liked the idea of being part of something that really I felt passionate about. I never was a basketball fan growing up. But again, it's when you think of the brand of the Boston Celtics, it was like in my first role in sports, I can learn about this incredible fan base and this incredible brand. Ultimately, there was no way I could have ever passed that up. And of course, it was the best possible decision that I could have made. Of course, you've been there forever. Yes. Uh, so you, when you got there, you were in ticket operations. What were you doing each day uh, as a ticket ops uh, person? I was dealing with account financials, ticket printing. Every single game night I was in the box office. So if someone forgot their tickets or brought tickets for the wrong game, I was dealing with it. I was dealing with all kinds of really not fun situations. I remember that year when we were in the finals, we had an issue um, with the secondary market. And I think I had the same set of tickets show up with about 30 different pairs of people. So we were having to kind of turn people away, figure out other solutions. Um, but at the core, it really was about customer service. 
it was, you know, dealing with season ticket members and dealing with fans about any ticket related issue that they had or question that they had. And so through that first role, I really embraced the power and the loyalty and the passion of our fan base. And I sort of made it my mission my first few years here to kind of become an internal expert on our fans and just get to know that fan base as well as I possibly could. So one of the things that we talk a lot about in, uh, I, I do this with a partner, Chris Valente and I, and uh, we talk a lot about getting your first uh, position. And I like to always ask the question, are we wrong? Um, the We say that, uh, we suggest saying that if you want to get into marketing, then get in, get your first entry role into marketing because uh, then if there's uh, if you take a job in sales or something, that just kind of puts you behind the eight ball um, and doesn't give you the opportunity to get to mar- uh, you know someone else will have the opportunity to get to marketing quicker than you uh, or any other department. Are we right in saying that, or is just getting your foot in the door, in your opinion, the best way to go about it? I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think it really depends on the organization and really it's a personal preference thing as a hiring manager too. So what I usually tell people is I think it is a common misconception that jobs in sports are so difficult to get, but I do think that people narrow their sights too much in one of a few areas. So I always like to tell people that I'm giving advice to the three major areas that I think about are geographic location, type of organization and specific role. So for me, when I graduated, I knew that I wanted to work in sports and I knew that I wanted to be in New England. But beyond that, I was really open to anything, major league team, minor league team, um, you know, a company like Converse or Adidas. um, And really, I was willing to take on whatever role and just learn the business and work my way up. For some people, if you know 100% that you want to be in marketing and you apply for a job in finance, for example, it's going to come through in the interview that that's not really what you want to be doing. So I think that there has to be some connection. Um, but for me, ticket operations, essentially, like I said, was customer service, and it wasn't that far off from marketing. What I've seen in the Celtics is we like to retain good people and hire good people. So I think we have seen a lot of people who have started out in an inside sales job, for example, or a customer service role and have worked their way into other departments. But I don't think that's guaranteed. So there are some people who would prefer to see experience with a marketing agency and no sports experience at all for an entry-level marketing role, for example. But I think, you know, there's no right or wrong way to go about it. I think you just have to be flexible in as many ways as you possibly can. So two questions. You said one of the things that you had uh, wanted to do was stay in New England uh, during your first job search. Did you feel like that uh, hindered you or were you just because you know you just couldn't go there might have been a great job in Arizona or something that you want you that you were interested in or you're like just so focused in on New England that it didn't really matter does that make sense yeah it does I think I was lucky that New England was the area for me I think it'd be different if we were saying I really wanted to stay in Minnesota or you know southern Florida because there aren't as many opportunities related to sports but Like I said, I wasn't necessarily, I have to work for the Boston Celtics or I have to work for one of the four or five major professional teams in New England. It really was just, I want to do something related in some way to sports in New England. So like I mentioned, the other opportunity I had in front of me was with the Boston Breakers. Um, There are so many, you know, college athletic departments around here that I looked at and companies that, you know, do sponsorship deals with sports teams. So since I was flexible in those other ways, I think it was easy for me to find opportunities in New England. 
Um, but again, it's, you know, if, if you have your heart set on working for an NBA team, then you better be willing to go to any city um, that has a team, you know. So I think it's just kind of finding that balance. And it's important what you want to do, but it's equally important to realize what you don't want to do and where you have to draw that line. You said uh, er- earlier as we talked that the ticket operations slash customer service really helped you into your role now. How so? Well, I think every job in sports is about customer service at its core, especially when you work for a brand like the Celtics. We all consider ourselves brand ambassadors and we're representing the Celtics in everything we do, even when I'm not at work. Um, I'm interacting with people all the time and as soon as someone hears I work for the Boston Celtics, of course that's all they want to talk about. So I'm very cognizant of always making sure that I'm representing the brand in a positive way and furthering our message. So I think having that baseline of understanding our fans, understanding what makes them tick, understanding what they like and don't like, which really I got that through the conversations I was having in the ticket ops role, that helped me understand from a marketing perspective what would resonate with fans. Um, And I think really anything you do, anyone in any department here, the core of the knowledge that you need is not so much what the team's doing on the court because that's... All right, uh, Kara, so one of the things uh, I heard you say is... Uh, in an interview is protecting the Celtics brand. How do you go about and do something like that? It's a big challenge and it's probably the number one thing we think about every day. We are a brand that's so built on history and tradition. So you see a lot of teams around the league and different brands that really are trying to build a brand and build brand awareness. We are lucky in the sense that our brand is already very well defined. We don't have a lot of say sometimes in what our brand is because it's already our fans own our brand. So for us, it's about staying true to that brand and making sure that we're never doing anything to jeopardize the brand or the relationship with the fans. So we do try and push the boundaries. We try and connect with younger audiences. We try and keep things fresh. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to what do the Boston Celtics stand for? And the Celtics are such a huge part of people's lives. Um, Really people feel truly a part of the Celtics family and the the Celtics brand represents what they are, what they stand for. And so for us, it's about making sure that we stay true to that and making sure that we respect how much it means to people so that we're never doing anything that would conflict with that or put the, the, I guess, jeopardize the brand and, and what it represents for people. So can you give me a real life situation about like a conversation that you'd have in a, in a meeting of like, do we want to do this with this jeopardize or put in harm the Celtics brand uh, that might be that you can kind of take people behind the scenes a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So it comes up in terms of social media all the time. You see a lot of NBA teams that are doing some really impressive, entertaining things on social media Um, A lot of, you know, Twitter interactions and kind of putting things out there, doing things like Star Wars nights in their arena and highlighting that on social media. And that works really well for a lot of brands, but it's not necessarily who we are. So one of my favorite examples is years ago, we had a product that we called Girls and Guys Night Out Ticket Packages. You would get four tickets, I think a concessions voucher and a gift item. And one of the things that I really wanted to do for Girls Night Out was do a stemless wine glass with a pink Celtics logo. And that was something that was completely, completely unheard of for us. Putting the Celtics logo in pink was really, really a big deal for us. And we went back and forth and I kind of talked to my creative director about it for at least weeks, if not longer. 
and um, explain that I thought this would be something that would be really popular, but it wasn't as simple as let's try it and see what happens because we really didn't want to alienate any fans and a decision like that when you're messing with something as iconic as the Celtics green color, um, it really wasn't something that was a no brainer. So eventually we did it. It went over really well, but those types of kind of allowances are few and far between. So it's not like then that opened the door for us to make every single logo pink and my mom actually wanted some pink Celtics gear for Christmas last year and I couldn't find anything because we don't do it that often. But, um, you know, those are the kinds of things that you would think that a conversation like that wouldn't make its way all the way up to upper management. But here it does all the time because we just want to make sure that we're thinking things through and thinking about the potential impact that our decisions will have on our fan base. It's so different than minor league baseball. It's like, yeah, sure. What the hell? Make it yellow. I don't care. Totally. And I love it. It's really cool. And now we just recently um acquired the main red clause and so that's one of the things that's really excited for us is we have that opportunity now to work with the staff up there to kind of push some of those boundaries and test some things but before that we really didn't have the chance because we have you know all eyes are on us we're a worldwide brand so if we try something and it doesn't go well then you better believe we're going to be hearing about it yeah right um so your title has vp of content and marketing yeah i see those as two totally different uh, paths. Am I am I right in that with, with uh, some sort of convergence? Uh, can you talk about the difference between your content side and then your marketing side? I think there's less of a difference than there used to be. We talk gotcha. about our content and our marketing more interchangeably by the day. So the traditional part of my role is on the market marketing side. And for us, really, that's focused on transactional marketing and specifically, mostly on ticket sales. So that includes social media, email marketing, advertising, fan engagement, and just overall brand marketing. The most recent part of my role is content strategy. And that came about um, where we were really focused more on our digital content and what can we do to monetize that and how can we better connect with our fans. So it kind of stems from fan engagement. I always say in addition to growing and protecting the Celtics brand, our other biggest responsibility in my department is growing and protecting our relationship with the fans. So when we think about content, it's how can we collaborate with every other department throughout the organization to come up with the best ideas, create the best content, produce it, develop it, and distribute it and get it in front of our fans. So the content production itself, I have a team that does that. I have no experience in that whatsoever, but the content strategy side is what really ties into the marketing and it's thinking about our content mix and how our content um, does reflect our brand and how we distribute that across our marketing platforms. So it's, they are two distinct parts of my role, but there's more overlap than there's ever been before. And I think that trend's going to continue. I told uh, it's really it's uh, content is king right now in everything that you're doing. By the way, I, uh, I follow all the Celtics on all the social media channels. You guys do a wonderful job. I really enjoy it. Um, and that's no BS. I, just, I, I really do. So uh, kudos. Uh, but one of the things I feel like, too, is and maybe this is from my corporate partnership background is like there's a fine line of like having content that is good that your fans are looking for, but also sponsorable that uh, has revenue generation. Can you talk a little bit about like the line that there is about like you don't want to go too far on the sponsor side, but you also don't want to have content that does not have uh, revenue generation uh, capabilities. Can you talk a little bit about the line that you walk there too? Sure. It comes back to what we were talking about with protecting the brand. And I think 
we're lucky in that we have the support throughout the whole organization that we're not going to just take a partner's money because they're willing to offer it to us. We always want to make sure that whatever they're looking to do aligns with our goals and aligns with our brand and is a good fit. So when we think about monetization, I think our partners are getting smarter as we are. So it's really about branded content as opposed to just sticking a logo on something. And there are Amen. situations where a brand just wants exposure and we will associate their logo with something that we're doing that gets a huge reach or a lot of impressions and that's fine. But really it's about how do we take our brand and use that to tell another brand's story. So one of my favorite pieces that we do is called uh, The Grind. We partner with Gatorade. And what we do is we focus on player stories and we focus on having them talk to us about the grind that goes into the season, the off season, being an NBA player. And it's really organic because you're seeing shots of the guys working out and grabbing a Gatorade from the branded fridge and using a Gatorade towel to wipe their sweat off their forehead. And it really kind of subtly explains that Gatorade is there to support that grind. And we don't have to be so in your face about it, but it's great content. It's great storytelling that fans want to consume. And then, oh, by the way, it's associated with Gatorade. So hopefully through consuming that content, then there's going to be a natural connection and the fans are going to kind of gravitate toward that brand a little bit more. Yeah, you're, you're totally right, is uh, that you want to have the content that your fans are looking for while integrating a sponsor. I, th I love what you guys do with the JetBlue runway, right? The guys walking in with all their different kind of their, their different clothes and everything yeah. as they walk in with JetBlue. I thought that was a very creative way to uh, to bring in an airline partner with something that has nothing to do with airlines. Thanks. Yeah, we love JetBlue is a great partner because they're really open to those ideas when we come to them. So that one I think is great because there are brands that ties into lifestyle. And so they have this fun, playful nature. So the most recent content that we started to do with them, we call it winging it. And again, it has nothing to do with the airlines, except for we came up with kind of a clever title, which I had nothing to do with. Um, but they're just little clips that we typically play on the Jumbotron. Our game operations group captures those on our media day. Um, and I think the most recent one was they took a baby picture of one of the players and they get reactions from all the other players on who huh. they think this is. And it's just really fun. And JetBlue has this brand. They know their brand really well and they want to be fun and playful. And they came to us with basically just saying that we want to be fun and playful. And so we kind of looked through our content library and we said this would be a really good fit. Um, and that's the kind of situation where it works out really well, where the brand that we're working with knows what they want to be and what they want to accomplish. And we can kind of match what we're doing already to fit that. The uh, you talk a little bit about the players, you know, showing the, uh, um, uh, you know, the baby pictures and that type of thing. In minor league baseball, we have like no interaction with the players. I think last year we had a stat as like the 25 guys that started with us and by the end of the season on opening day, by the end of the season, there were six that were the same people, right? So they change all the time, but that's not in the case in your world. How is how, how do you go? How do you tastefully go uh, and interact with the with the players uh, and include them in your marketing? Um, is that is that a, is T tell us about how you go about and do that because it seems like such a foreign concept to me. It's not easy. It takes a ton of collaboration. Um, I think the first key is that the NBA as a league has done a really great job. Um, they have, you know, they've created a situation where it's beneficial for players to build their own brands. And so the message that I always try and deliver to our players at the beginning of the season or whenever we acquire a new player is that my primary job is to make you into a fan favorite and to get you to a place where your brand is enhanced. 
Um, and we've had some really great examples over the years of players who haven't necessarily been the best player on the court or the best player on our team, but who have really resonated with the fans because of the things they're doing off the court and because of their personality. And so in New England, our fans always expect top performance, but on top of that, they really appreciate someone who's got heart like Marcus Smart or who is you know, great in front of the camera like Kemba Walker. Um, and so we really try and make sure that everything that we ask of the players is gonna be mutually beneficial. And then beyond that, we just have really great working relationships throughout the organization. So I rely a ton on our communications and PR team and they help facilitate those requests. And we make sure that we try and explain to the players exactly what we're looking for and exactly how we're gonna use it. So it's about building trust with the players, with their agents, with the coaching staff, um, and really making sure that we're not asking them for things that they're not gonna be comfortable doing or that aren't gonna make sense for both them and for us. Yeah, it's a total foreign concept. I can't imagine going up to a player and talking to them because it's like, I don't, I don't want to be here. I want to be in the Boston, right? <laughs> so uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to me. But the other thing that's interesting. I think, you know, the toughest thing is their schedules. And I think that's what people don't realize is a lot of people think that the players play a couple games a week, practice a couple times, and that's that. But their travel schedule is so grueling. They have commitments for community engagements, partnerships, all these things. And so they really have almost no downtime. And so when we're asking them to spend an extra hour or two after practice to film something for us, that's a really big ask. And so that's why we try and make sure that we understand what they're going to be getting out of it. And the other thing that we do is we really try and concentrate on making those asks only when it's something really important. So you'll notice a lot of our content doesn't include players. We would yeah. for everything that we do to have players in it because automatically that's going to get a better fan response. But we really try and think of what, how we can engage fans and not be kind of overburdening the players because at the end of the day, their, their job is to win games and win championships. And everyone knows that. Hey, hey man, you only can go to the well so many times yeah. uh, with things like that. So it's, it's, uh, it's important not to be like, Oh, you don't want it to be like, oh, here comes Kara again. What does she want? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, right. Um, the other thing that I can uh, that's uh, got to be just uh, incredibly important in your world is uh, data and analytics. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you looking at most often? I also feel like those are big time, like broad terms that don't get analyzed well enough. So, what are you actually looking at? What's important to you? And you know what. What do you think people who are listening to this podcast can learn um, from the analytics? Because I just think it's a buzzword, but it is a very important uh, buzzword, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I think the most important thing to note is that data and analytics, I think, is the quickest growing area of sports. So if you're someone who's looking to break into sports or to grow a career in sports, I think it's a really smart area to focus in. Um, we are, I think, pretty lucky here that my boss, um, who's our SVP of strategic marketing and business ops, came from a consulting background. So everything that we do on the marketing front has always been really grounded in data. Um, but a lot of teams, did I lose you up? No, I'm right oh, here. Sorry. Um, a lot of teams kind of have taken a little bit longer. So when I was first in the league, I remember going to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference and it was really small. It was in one classroom at that time. And that's grown now that they have it at um, gigantic convention center. And it's impossible to even get a ticket. They sell out before anyone can even have a chance. Um, at this point, I think every one of the 30 NBA teams has some sort of analytics department or role in their organization. But what we look at, I think it changes all the time. Social media is kind of king right now. So it used to be much more about 
website traffic and um, app and all those things, which we still pay attention to, but now it's fans are just consuming on social media. So we're looking at everything from engagements to video views, and then even more specifically to percent of video that fans are completing. Um, we're looking really at personalized data. So we work with a bunch of partners to try and capture fan data, everything from preferences, favorite player, favorite opposing team, to demographic data, to behavioral data. Um, and we use that to really try and personalize our marketing and, and learn as much about our fans as we can. And I think the next wave that we're starting to see is partners are getting a lot smarter and asking more intelligent questions. So when we're talking about a prospective partnership, they're asking questions like, how many fans do you have that fall into this age bracket? Or how many fans do you have that travel for business more than six times a year? So now we're kind of digging into deeper levels and collecting that fan data um, and trying to pair that with the data that we have about behavior and how our fans are consuming our content um, and trying to tell a real story with that data. And, and from a corporate partnership standpoint, I mean, as you well know, it's not just like, hey, let's throw a sign up and see what happens. No way. It's there. No way. They're looking for what their return is and they're being very strategic uh, in uh, their marketing dollars because they know how important their marketing dollars is. And I think too, with social media is they, you're able to track that type of information uh, and that's very valuable to a, a potential partner. Yeah, we're held a lot more accountable than we used to be, which I think is a great thing. It's I agree. the days of, you know, we say, we tell someone, hey, we reached a million people. It's like, great. What do I care? What are those people? Yeah, care? right. How many of those people converted? How many of those people visited my website or went into one of my store locations? That's what they really care about. It's all about it's convert, the, taking those into conversions. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think. Uh, two is it's so important to have good relationship. We talk a lot about in, internal relationships and internal quote unquote selling uh, and making sure that those relationships are strong internally so that you guys, everyone's rowing in the same direction as we're trying to get corporate partnership dollars in or trying to create a ticket package uh, and the marketing that goes behind it. And I think everybody needs to be rowing in the same boat uh, in the same direction uh, to make sure that those things happen. I assume you feel the same way in uh, in your world? A hundred percent. Yeah, I say all the time that my main role on the content strategy side of things is I'm a facilitator of collaboration. And my biggest strength is the relationships that I've built in this organization over 13 years. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a social media expert. I'm not a production expert. I just try and hire people that are smarter than me in all those areas. And I, I can kind of keep everyone on the same page and working toward the same goals. That's really the, the strength that I bring to the table. So when something comes out like, you know, TikTok now, mm -hmm. are, are you, is your, uh, are you like, all right, we got to go all in right now or you're kind of in between or is it like, uh, you know, slow and steady or are you kind of somewhere uh, in between? We don't tend to be early adopters in those areas. Again, kind of because we come back to a brand that's so traditional and historic. So we let other people kind of be the guinea pigs there. And then once we realize that something is taking off and that it's here to stay, that's when we'll jump in. And we wanna make sure that in those situations, and TikTok is a great example because we just started our account maybe four or six weeks ago. And we really wanna make sure that we go into it strategically. So we have a plan. So it's not just one day we start an account and we post something and then we're kind of scrambling for what do we do next. It's really, we think things through and say, 
what's the cadence of how often we think we're going to be want to be posting and what type of content do we want to put on this platform as opposed to our other platform and how can we line up what are our next 10 to 20 posts going to be so that we have a plan in place and who's going to be interacting and engaging on this platform so we take our time to answer those questions first a lot of that goes right out the window because we're reacting as things are happening. Um, but at least if we go in with a strategy and a clear plan, then we feel like we'll, um, you know, we won't misstep and we'll have a better opportunity to really do things right. And I think I forget what the metrics are, but um, we get a, a monthly report from the NBA that kind of ranks us against other teams in different areas. And after being on the platform for, like I mentioned, four or six weeks or so, we're already, I believe, in like the top six accounts in the NBA. So, oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's worked out well for us. Um, TikTok is a good example of a platform that I am totally, totally not the target audience for. I that. have no idea what the hell's going on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, one, we have a team that works on social media, but one woman in particular who's just a few years out of school and she is kind of right in that demographic and she's really done a great job and it's just so fun to see how excited the young people get when the posts do really well and um you know the engagement takes off and it's rewarding because i think it, it shows that doing things the right way and taking that approach pays off for us um it's it's uh i love what uh, it seems like everything goes back to from your world, protecting uh, protecting the brand and making sure it's best for the Celtics brand. And everything that you said is really can go back uh, to that one goal. And uh, it's admirable. Thanks. Yeah, it's, um, it's a big responsibility that comes with working with such a, a global brand. Um, and we take it really seriously. And it's fun. And I think the most fun part sometimes is figuring out how we can push those boundaries. But at the end of the day, it does all come back to how do we make sure that we're protecting this thing that we've been given stewardship over and making sure that we deliver what fans expect and what they've come to rely on the brand for? Uh, well, um, I so much appreciate you taking the time. And I got one last question for you, even though that we've had technical difficulties all uh, all afternoon. Um, you are one, you know, you're a vice president of an NBA team, uh, one of the great NBA franchises uh, and one of the great sports franchises in all of sport. Um, and, uh, and also a female, do you feel like as a, as a female sports business leader that you have an extra responsibility for up and coming, um, you know, a sports business, uh, female sports, uh, sports executives, uh, you, I, 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 I assume, I, I mean, I feel like you have uh, done an excellent job of grooming, uh, sports executives, whether they're male or female, but, uh, in that kind of leadership role, do you feel uh, an additional responsibility as your career has grown? It's a great question. I think, yes, I do feel a sense of responsibility. It's, interesting because I get asked a lot what it's like to be a woman working in this field. And the honest answer is on the vast majority of days, I don't think about it at all. I think that's partially because I'm really lucky to work in an organization where it really isn't a topic or an issue that comes up. Um, but I do think that, you know, I have a lot of young women reach out to me and young people in general, but particularly young women who are looking to get into the field and interested on how to work their way up. And I do feel like as women, in any industry and in positions of leadership, we have a responsibility to kind of pull up that next generation with us. Um, and I think that's something that most women in this field in particular, we really appreciate. And I feel like it's an honor and I love when young women reach out to me. And so I think there's a responsibility to just train young people in general, not just females, but especially 
um, you know, the women who are kind of working their way up because I recognize that it's not as easy to be a woman in working in other sports organizations. So I try and appreciate that and appreciate what I have here at the Celtics, but also recognize that that's not necessarily the norm everywhere. It, what you're what you're doing male female it doesn't matter you what you guys are doing at what you are doing and what your team is doing with the Celtics is just uh, awesome stuff you know i find it incredibly i guess inspiring i think is the right word is saying like you're building a brand that is about as built as you can make it right but you're building it even more and continuing to grow a brand and really evolve a brand uh as well and i think uh that you are doing and your team is doing a spectacular job uh as a fan from the outside right uh and it's just uh, really cool uh, on what you guys are doing. It's just a, you've done an excellent job. Thanks so much. Yeah, now we just got to go get Banner 18. Go get Banner 18. And uh, on that note, uh, Kara, a million thanks for, uh, for joining me. I, again, I apologize for all the uh, crazy technical difficulties we had today. But, uh, you know, first, first time for everything. But uh, a million thank yous for joining me. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Rob. I had a blast. Thanks.